Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So we were just talking about... Um, you know, the, the never-ending topic of how many people will end up going back to the workplace, remote working, etc., and how Morgan Stanley in New York has said, yeah, if you're not in your desk by Labor Day, we're going to renegotiate your salary because we're paying you a New York salary for being here. We're not going to pay you the same amount if you're going to work remotely, and I wonder if that will start happening in a lot of your more expensive cities, for partially because you would make the argument Hey, if, if, if we're here in San Francisco and I'm paying you to be in here and you're going to work remotely, well, I think I can probably get somebody as good or better for less that lives somewhere else. Sure. Suburban Albuquerque. Why not? Yeah. Why, why am I paying the you live in San Francisco salary? The competition for those jobs just expanded exponentially. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Now, if you have a contract, then you're getting into, you know, some, mm. some shaky territory, but yeah, I wonder if there's any, contract law around that like i'll bet a lot of contracts n- never stipulate that you need to come into the building it was just assumed because of sure. course you would of course you would it's the only right, way you it's can like do your stipulating job. you have to be alive I yeah mean, or wear yeah. shoes nobody's contract says you need to wear shoes cover your genitals um uh, but the list is endless <laughs> <laughs> uh but then this from the atlantic which is currently out Derek thompson discusses the future of working from home beginning with the question, who wins? Thompson posits that established, we've talked about this, established white-collar workers benefit and will continue to benefit from the work-life balance that working from home offers. Others, such as entry-level workers, will need to make an impression on their co-workers, will miss out on coffee runs and commiseration. If the pre-pandemic office was like a fine dining experience, a large group enters, sits down together, and leaves several hours later, the post-pandemic office may be, may be more like a neighborhood cafe. People will come and go. You'll recognize some of them, but feel estranged from others. And the office might convey a sense of both vague belonging and day-to-day transience. Uh, those of us with a lot of turnover in our industry already feel that way. Yeah, it was all, that's true. It's already bad enough of you. you, know, you know, we used to joke about this, and then it just became true. Don't really take the time to get to know some people because you don't think they're going to be around very long anyway. So you just don't even bother to, to learn their names or say, hey, nice to meet you. You know, where do you live? You married? You got kids? What do you do for fun? Yeah, no point. God, I think back years ago, there's no way. There, there are people around here I've worked with for years. I have no idea if they're married, single, have kids. No idea. And but likewise, when I was early in my career, I would have been to I was at I'd been to everybody's home and them to mine. I feel right. I think it's illegal for me to even ask those questions of of modern coworkers. Hey, are you well? What's life like out here? Oh, HR meeting. <laughs> what are your medical difficulties? Which way do you swing? So Kevin Faulkner, who's running for governor in California, former mayor of San Diego. If Gavin Newsom is recalled, Kevin Faulkner is hoping that he gets the the highest number and ends up governor of California. Moderate but, Republican. But he Good just man. he just retweeted. Um, I'll just read what the tweet is. This just happened at the Walgreens at uh, Goff and Fell Streets in San Francisco, a Walgreens I know. And it's a video. I'm looking at it right here, listening to the audio. 
Uh, we gotta, we gotta post this so you can see it. It's somebody taking a video of what happens now in cities like San Francisco. Here's a guy, looks to be homeless. He's on a bike and he's got a trash bag. He's in the Walgreens. He's just grabbing stuff off the shelves, like armload, just shoveling it into the bag. Loads up the bag, gets on his bike and, and rides out while they're filming it. And the person filming it says, should we call 911? And the security guard, the mall cop there, kind of tries to grab the bag out of his hands, but they're not supposed to stop him. That's the official policy in San Francisco. Well, right. And if the city government doesn't care about theft, I'm not going to get stabbed. Right. And uh, Kevin Faulkner, um, again, who's running for governor, said this has to stop. In Gavin Newsom's California, criminals commit brazen theft with no consequences, while businesses and customers can do nothing but watch. And the number of, like, CBSs and Walgreens that have closed in the San Francisco Bay Area, it's a lot of them. Because you just can't do business anymore. That's that's an amazing video. Something that I would have never believed could exist in a modern society where people get to come. It's only because more people don't know that you can do that that it doesn't right. happen more often. The grocery store that I walk into all the time, you could go in there and grab a six-pack of beer every day and walk out and wave, say, hey, taking my beer to drink for the day. See you later. They're F- not. You. They're not going to stop you. Yeah, well, good news. Number one, I tweeted that earlier today, and we have it at armstrongandgetty.com. So if you want to check it out, check it out. It's there already. And by the way, speaking of Kevin uh, Falconer, we we had an extra-large podcast with him yesterday. That's also available at armstrongandgetty.com. A couple of other texts before I get to my NPR story i got to fit in. Um, uh, About Crocs. Most hospitals are no Croc zones because people trip on the shoes so often and break their lateral fibula bones. I don't know how often that happens. It's like the most more most worn shoe in America, so I don't know how deadly it is. But um, anyway, and also this, Jack, uh, this was a, to me not knowing the, what the lyrics to songs mean. I don't know what the lyrics to any song mean. I never even think about it. Um, I would love to explain every 21 Pilots song to you. They're all great. Check out the new albums, uh, Scaled and Icy. I will. I love 21 Pilots, but I don't know what their songs mean either. Is that the guy who wrote the songs, maybe? A celeb encounter? I don't know. We were talking about uh, Roger Waters and another brick in the wall. I don't know what that means. I've never even stopped to think about it. I wow. just sing. I sing Did along. I sing along to some, I sing along to songs, and I never stop to think about what they what they mean for some reason. I don't know why. I will That's not so be interesting. party to this bull. I don't blame you, Roger. That's Roger Roger Waters saying he will not allow Mark Zuckerberg to use their Pink Floyd song for his Instagram ads. No, which is fine with me. So, and it would be a horrible irony if he did, since the song is exactly about the damaged stuff like Instagram causes, which uh, spawned the Jack Never Listens to the Lyrics uh, discussion. Um, so I'm listening to NPR today, and they're talking about California opening. So California is the last state in America to open, and I live in a city that will be the last city in the last state to open. But uh, And they were talking to, they had a therapist on to help people deal with the idea of taking their masks off. And this is for vaccinated people. And they had a, a real, you know, you got to realize, of course, that uh, all across the country, people have been going without masks for months. For months, people have been going out with masks without masks. Schools wide open, restaurants, everything. So they had a therapist on and, and asking the therapist, what should people do that are still feeling a lot of apprehension about taking their mask off? For instance, if, if someone's uh, invited to a backyard barbecue. How should they handle it? Well, the first thing you should do, says the therapist, is she should say to yourself over and over again, I am safe. I am safe. I am safe. To try to calm yourself down before going into a backyard barbecue with no mask on. 
outdoors, I am assuming, this backyard barbecue, where even Bill Maher said the other day, I see a person with a mask on outside, and I think you are a blanking moron. Right. Um, and also, uh, perhaps you should call the person who invited you to the barbecue ahead of time and uh, get an idea of the lay of the land. How many people will be there? Will there be social distancing before you go? And also, If you're vaccinated, who cares? Why do you care? Why are you asking? And also, if you're still uncomfortable with the idea of going to a backyard barbecue without a mask, perhaps you're not ready yet, and it's okay to say to the person who invited you, no, thank you, I won't come. Perhaps you're a neurotic mess and you need years of help yeah. <laughs> to get so, back to normal. So instead of the host saying, what should we do for people who are so so neurotic or mentally ill that they're still scared to go outside without a mask? No, it was to help people who legitimately, uh, justifiably, are too scared to go outside without a mask. Because they have zero chance of getting a disease, 99.8% people uh, percent of people are fine. Yes. How could we be this different in the way the way the way we look at things in the same country, in the same state, ten miles apart? God, I know it's astounding. If you're scared to go to a backyard barbecue without a mask, you're mentally ill. Armstrong and Getty. Armstrong and Getty. This is the best of Armstrong and Getty. I don't need to tell you that uh, kids have spent way more screen time than normal in a lot of cases during the COVID thing as mom and dad have tried to work from home, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, various experts have weighed in on this Axios report. Brains change when you're spending time online, says Robin Mellenbeck, director of George Mason University's Center for Psychological Services. There's an addictive quality to gaming, so it becomes very difficult to wean off. It's a real crisis right now. Now, with Addiction to substances, substances, it actually causes physiological changes. They don't think that's the case with screen time at this point. But, Jack, I think you would agree that there's a lot that's not known about addiction. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. Um, uh, yeah, it's, man, it's a tough one. Just did uh, a thousand miles there and back to my mom and dad's house. And uh, it's certainly easy as a parent, whether you want to get a load of laundry done or you're driving cross country or whatever you're doing. To let your uh your 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 rules on screen time slide because it's just so dang handy. Yeah, yeah. So they go into some detail about you know addiction and habits and the rest of it. Uh, but some handy advice I thought uh, you might like to hear. The goal is not to cut out screen time altogether, says the expert they're quoting. Unlike substance addiction, where abstinence from the substance is the treatment. Unless you're going to be California sober. Uh-huh. Uh, the therapeutic goal for screen overuse is teaching self-regulation. Uh, so uh, here's the way to go. Here's some strategies recommended by child psychologists for parents trying to reduce their kids' screen time. Number one, include the child. Allow the child to have a say in resetting time limits so they have some ownership of the plan. Um, and uh, this expert advises parents to let them choose what kind of screen time it will be within reason, such as watching cartoons or playing a game on the Nintendo Wii. Uh, two, change the routine, distract kids with alternate That's activities. That's interesting that they lump yes. those together. Just by, by, just by my observation, the watching a cartoon on TV and playing a video game is a completely different thing. And they put those together. That's interesting. Yeah, you're right. It's a fairly wide range of of uh, levels of involvement and passivity and activity and the rest of it. I mean, if the screen time is kids learning calculus at age eight, that's different than watching, you know, the Three Stooges. But I just I just know, like with my own kids, to say, let's turn off the cartoons and go outside. Oh, okay. Let's put down the video game and no, no, just a few more minutes. They never mm. do that with the turning off a TV show. That's significant. That's good. 
So they say you change the rec- uh, change the routine. Distract kids with alternate activities such as going out for a family walk, playing digging outside, holes. or visiting a park, digging holes, and <laughs> filling them in again. We're good. We're getting <laughs> blisters today, boys. It's a metaphor for life. Now keep digging. Uh, use a timer. Once you set expectations about screen limits, set a kitchen timer. Use a timer app, etc. Be consistent. Give incentives. Reward kids when they cooperate with the new rules. We can even use additional screen time as reinforcers for getting other things done, like doing chores without complaining or shutting down a device when asked without a fight. Be age appropriate and model desired behavior. Oh, oh what? That, what? Come on no. now. I'm, I'm, I'm done being a kid. I get to do what I want. <laughs> <laughs> Try to cut back your own screen time and frame it as a positive change, not a punishment. Oh, I feel so much better now that I didn't watch the final round of the Masters, kids. <laughs> now that's just good parenting. Uh, coming up, we will get to what is going to be a hot, hot political issue. That will be an hour or two if you listen to the podcast. Hour or two if you li- listen to the podcast. As I mentioned, uh, I drove with the, the, the kids to see grandma and grandpa. It was nice being in states where they treat COVID, I think, appropriately for the level of danger that exists. Uh, by letting you uh, go out and about without masks on and that sort of stuff. So they engage in risk-benefit analysis and not just risk-risk-risk-risk analysis. Or, or, or stay in the same spot with your risk analysis despite all the evidence. Or, you know, six months later still acting as if you're resisting Trump and everything he says. Just so stupid. Boy, the Trump store is still open in Sholo, Arizona, and by the looks of it, it's doing better business than it ever has. It was super crowded every time I drove by it. I saw there was a Trump boat rally somewhere in Florida over the weekend. Really? I mean, it's just, it's, it's also boating with a bunch of people and hooting and hollering. I saw trucks. Doesn't need an excuse. I saw trucks with Trump flags and the whole thing, man. Arizona, a lot of Arizona. Not enough of Arizona for Donald Trump, apparently, in the last election, but a lot of Arizona loves Donald Trump. But we went to a, uh, a fair, a carnival, a traveling carnival there at, uh, where my parents live up in the mountains in Arizona. And it's one of your kind of janky-ish little carnivals (laughs) that travels from town to town that you wonder, hey, when's the last time you expected any of these things? The sort of carnies that give carnies their name and their rep and my boys were super excited and the last time we went to the same carnival it happened to be in town when my we went to visit my parents pre-covid and they both got a little ill on uh after riding several spinny rides they got a little sick and didn't feel that good and we went home and i said well let's let's not do that this time let's take it a little easy so i bought them all the tickets and they're trying to pick out the rides and they decided they do the the worst ride first the the zipper which, if you don't know what the zipper is, it's like you get in this like egg-shaped container. The two of you, you can make it spin as much as you want if you want, like forward and back, like you're spinning forward in your chair. Oh, and then the whole thing spins. So um, and they wanted to do that, and they were kind of back. Should we do it now? Do it later? Blah blah blah. blah. So they got on the ride, and uh, because of the way the cages are made, you, I can't see in there. Like in other rides, at least I can monitor: are they having a good time? Are they getting sick? Like, when they got sick last time, I told the guy, hey, hey, my, my son's getting sick. Can you, you slow this thing down and let him off? And he let him off. Yeah. On this one, I couldn't see in there, so I had no idea if they were having a good time or a bad time or whatever. Oh, boy. And there was no line. So the guy gave him the, you know, I'll let you ride twice. You know, just let it go Just let it go way longer than normal. Oh, boy. It seemed like it was 10 minutes that they were inside that thing. It was a long time, and I just was assuming they were having a good time, hoping they were having a good time, hoping they were going to open the door and walk out. Oh, my God! Can we go again? Can we go again? They finally stopped the thing and they opened it and oh. and Henry kind of fell out of it onto the ground, vomit all over his face, all over his shirt. Oh. 
his hat just laying in a pool of vomit inside the thing. Oh. Sam took a couple of steps and collapsed in the dirt face first, then got oh. on his hands and knees and started vomiting. And uh, they both just laid there. They were, like, too sick to cry. Oh. And just, I mean, just covered their hair. Just every oh, many. <laughs> so kids, well. you know, and nobody cared. And so the carnival guy's just, like, you know, starting to ride back up with other people. And I'm trying to get them out of the way. And people are walking by. And uh, my mom was there, so I got Henry sat on the bench with Grandma with this look like he was going to die on his face. I eventually got Sam uh, to the car and had to put a towel down and try to wipe him off and everything like that to try not to oh. get too much vomitus in my vehicle. And then we had to sit in the parking lot for a full hour before they could let me drive. Every time I started driving, no, 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 I'm going to throw up again. And just the movement of the car at all oh, was too much. No. So we just sat there for an hour as their bodies tried to get back to... And there was no more eating the rest of the day. We got home, had to get completely undressed in the garage, get all their clothes off, wipe them down, get them in the bath, kind of get them to the couch. Oh, Lord. It was the worst example of it I've ever seen. And I don't <sighs> think the guy hosed off the, the car at all. No, he, he just, just spin it dry. I think he just put more people in there. Oh, I'm going to be the next to puke. <laughs> it was, I felt terrible. Didn't but. even hose it out. <sighs> Janky indeed, my friend. I hope they've learned something about uh, the spinny rides. Armstrong and Getty. From the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. And now, here's Armstrong and Getty. Stoners at Amazon! Oy, so you're fired up about this, huh? No. Your package could end up in, in, in Dubuque. They're so high. Oh, you ordered you're in Dubuque. That's a poor uh, example. You ordered pencils and they send you a book because the guy's stoned. I'm just stoned. Ah, listen to that. Amazon said Tuesday it'll stop testing job seekers for marijuana. Well, because you don't know if they got high three days ago or uh, on their way in. The second largest private employer in the United States, behind who? Who's the biggest private employer in the United States? Walmart? Walmart is correct. Mm. But Amazon is second. Is making the change as states legalize uh, marijuana. It just obviously needs to happen. It can't be legal to smoke pot in your state, but you won't hire anybody who does that. That makes no sense whatsoever. They will develop a test at some point to figure out whether you're stoned. You know, Currently if you're stoned, stoned, yeah, if you're stoned on the job, that's no good. Bring up Taco Bell and see how quickly the other person says it's a good idea. That's your test. <laughs> but I've, I've never taken a test at work to see if I'm drunk. It's just your behavior that, in spite of my urging management to <laughs> conduct one, it's your behavior. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Nothing. Answer Not- that, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they need, do they need a test at work? You know, I, this may shock you. I actually, uh, I smoked the, the hippie cabbage at one point. I was abducted by uh, armed lunatics who forced me to. And I actually, there were times that I did not feel like 100% sharp the next morning either. Well, and if so, I was doing but, some sort of job that depended on sharpness. Worse than being hungover? I've, uh, I've done uh, this job uh, and many others so hungover <laughs> I can barely stand. <laughs> Well, luckily, nothing's at stake here, really. <laughs> we're, not, we're not manufacturing surgical implements here. 
Had me the scalpel. Wait a minute. This is a spoon. This is as dull as a spoon. Is, is being hung over from pot worse in terms of being productive than being hung over from booze? I don't know the answer. Oh, to that gosh. I don't know. It's My experience would be no. No. Okay. My abduction was many years ago. Similar? No, not even close. Okay. Uh, depends how hungover you were in either scenario. But anyway, uh, speaking of Amazon, as they say in Britain, I found this uh, story interesting on its own. And then as an example of what Jack was talking about yesterday, the uh, what you call it thing, the uh, Goodhart law, where once, Sean, please. Uh, when a measure becomes a target, it ceases to become a good measure. Right. Or it ceases you, to be a good measure. You're gaming the system to just try to hit that target. And you and human nature apparently is you will do things that are counterproductive for the company sure. or the organization yeah. to reach that target. And, and the great divide, I think, is do you understand how people really behave or do you live in a dream world where they'll behave the way you think they should behave? It's former realism, but the story is Amazon had the policy that managers are expected to, either voluntarily or through termination, get rid of a specific number of employees every year. They call it the unregretted attrition rate. Um, and measuring it can be an important tool for helping managers gain perspective. If a manager knows it's normal to lose a certain percentage of employees each year, they're going to think, all right, who are our 90% best? Mm-hmm. And we're going to keep them. Look at the other side of the coin, if you like. The problem, though, is that's not what what's happening. Instead, managers are hiring people they otherwise wouldn't or shouldn't just so they can later fire them to hit their goal, which completely defeats sure. the point. Obviously. Since if the metrics based on sound business principles, there are people keeping their jobs who shouldn't at the expense of sacrificial lambs. If you want to incentivize your managers to a specific goal, it's got to be that specific goal. It's got to be productivity. You can't have an artificial measure. People will game the system to meet that goal. Graduation rates was an example we used earlier. There was some talk of a coronavirus baby boom. Well, if everybody stayed home, there's going to be so many more babies. I've always thought that sort of thing is just so stupid. (laughs) I mean... Is that the way you all plan your families? Just whenever you get around to doing it? (laughs) When and how many kids you have? (laughs) If there were no effective methods of birth control or you didn't believe in it, then okay, maybe. Maybe, but not even then. You know, we got enough kids, so we're not going to do this again or or whatever. Um, But, well, it turns out that is a dumb idea. Initial stats show a significant drop. In December 2020, births compared to a year earlier, America has entered a pandemic-inspired baby bust. Several states that keep track of births in near real time, as well as a number of hospitals, recorded significant drops in December 2020 birth rates compared to the same period a year ago, including Florida down 8%, Ohio down 7%, Arizona down 5%. 8%'s a significant drop. That's huge. Well, and and isn't this, uh, doesn't this ring true to everybody? I know various creative artists. I ask them, you, you writing, you working on anything? And everybody's like, no. I just don't feel like it. Can't play any shows. I, don't, I just don't feel like it. Hmm. And, you know, I, I think that malaise, because come on now, Jimmy Carter, there is no doubt a lot of the world is feeling the COVID malaise. It's a fun suck. This is a bad situation, said a sociologist and, and demogra- demographer for the University of Maryland. The declines we're seeing now are pretty substantial. 
Mm. Hmm. Clearly. Also drops in Google searches for pregnancy and sex-related topics. There's a drop in Google searches for sex-related topics. That's the dumbest piece of information I've ever heard. Yeah, I don't think you need to go that deep. If babies aren't being born, (laughs) the rest of it's just details. Yeah. People make long-term decisions when they have confidence about the future, and if there's anything that undermines confidence about the future, it's the massive pandemic. Yeah, I think it's more of uh, people in the modern world, for the most part, plan families when and how many kids they're going to have. And now is, you know, if you were thinking about it, why would you jump into it now? We don't have any idea what the hospital is going to be like. We don't have any idea. I mean, baby showers, just why? Schools aren't open. Well, and and not to get overly uh, poetic about it, but I just think passions have been cooled for a lot of things during the vid. No, I always want to do it. Same level of doing it. Oh boy! Yeah. Oh, wow! I Jeez, always want nothing's going. Nothing's going to cool my passions. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, Joe. You mentioned passions. He brings up doing it. Yeah, oh, yes. okay. I mean, come on. We're 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 talking romance. We're talking the Shakespeare of the airwaves over here. I want to do it. I still want to do it. You want to do it? <laughs> wow! Whatever oh, happened to seduction? Just... Yeah, thank you, Sean. <laughs> thank you, brother. But just there's just, just this, this, this shadow of blah and uh yeah and ug is over yeah. everything. Yeah, that's the way I feel. Yeah, mailbag. <laughs> oh, that's right. Our freedom-loving quote of the day from the great historian writer Shelby Steele. Conservatism is the perfect antidote to underdevelopment. Its commitment to individual responsibility, education, hard work, personal initiative, traditional family values, and free markets is a universal formula for success in a free society. And don't let the woke fools tell you it ain't. Because it is. Says me. Michael, I'm going to ask for a transmission from this jaunty tune to the traditional Armstrong and Getty music for... The haiku. Oh, the dumbest of all poetry. Gosh, I needed some structure. This oh, jeez. A note from Cody. Gentlemen, I'm listening to the podcast for Monday. Right in the intro, you talked about poetry, and I realized I missed you doing haikus. Oh, man. Well, Cody, we'd be delighted to accommodate you. The beautiful Japanese art of the haiku, the five syllables, the seven to five. Sean, would you agree it's the very limitations that sets the artist free? Without the restraints, there is no creativity. Okay. Mm. <laughs> That's what I told my wife as I put the hey fur handcuffs on her. Hey, hey. <laughs> what now? All right, here's the haiku. <clears throat> Haiku's anger, Jack. This is reason enough, friends, to bust them out. What? Word. <laughs> he almost jumped in. There's only four syllables. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> the beautiful Japanese art of the haiku. Moving along to the correspondence proper. Uh, let's see. Uh, oh, this is Joe, the consultant. Uh, positive Sean's ridiculous mascot bracket analysis has a higher accuracy percentage than my brother-in-law's actually meticulously thought out bracket. He plays, pays close attention to college basketball. Watching him meltdown was particularly hilarious. Uh, WJLHCJLP with Jesus like hair comes Jesus likes power. Not to that, <laughs> no, Joe. No, 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 that's not cool, Joe. No, no, not the this, Bible! especially not this close to Easter. I'm much yeah. more Samson than anything. There you go. Yeah, Nobody's offended yeah. by that. Exactly. Uh, let's see. Joe, you guys came up with the real reason for illegal immigration 20 years ago on your show. Yeah. And, uh, Nate, we haven't forgotten it either. Uh, well, his explanation of it, which is our explanation of it, is uh, we our birth rate is declining. 
rapidly in the United States. We are not replacing our population uh, quickly enough to prop up the Ponzi scheme that is Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid. We don't have enough young workers for all the old folks, and so we've had to import uh, brown people uh, from Central America to pay into Social Security. And nobody's going to up the scam. And if that's what's going on, nobody's going to say that out loud. Right. Plus, the right needs the, wants the cheap labor. The left wants what they perceive to be probable Democratic voters. And so the powerful really have no incentive to end this. Plus, having it as an issue is a great fundraiser. Oh, yeah. Absolutely true. Armstrong and Getty. Armstrong and Getty. This is the best of Armstrong and Getty. From the Meet the New Boss, same as the Old Boss Department, I've got a great story. What are you threatening with, with, with Sean, if we run out of material? Uh, I've got the 10 best Star Wars villains ranked, and they have General no. Grievous at number 10. <laughs> now, oh. He uses lightsabers, and he took out Jedi's This segment looks pretty solid, so just rest easy. Next one, a little shaky, though, so don't give up hope. So the um, <laughs> publisher of the Washington Post did a long opinion piece yesterday on the meet the new boss, same as the old boss, really going after the Biden administration hard. Publisher of the Washington Post, Fred Ryan, slimed, slammed, not slimed, slammed the Biden administration in an opinion piece published for seeking email records belonging to journalists, calling its action an unprecedented assault on American news organizations. Oh, yeah, I read about this. It is pretty troubling. You have not heard this because it's not him going after Trump. Trump with the, uh, you know, all the uh, going after the media and how dangerous it was and people crying tears on MSNBC. He's the new Hitler. He's the new Hitler. And the Biden administration is doubling down on a lot of this. Um. Uh, bah, 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 bah. Well, you remember the Obama administration did stuff like this yes. as well, and yes. was incredibly not transparent. Yes, the press their lap dogs just lip licked their heels. Um. So Ryan, the publisher of the Washington Post, writing about how the the Trump administration had gone after the phone records of some journalists, and uh, and there was a real pushback against that. And evil. Yeah, they're Trump trying is, to figure out who was receiving leaks. Uh, Trump is like Hitler. We heard over and over again, and Biden said that he would not allow this sort of thing that was un-American. Fred Ryan of the Washington Post writes, however, the egregious acts by the outgoing Trump Justice Department and the apparent doubling down on them during the Biden administration should alarm all Americans, regardless of political persuasion. Ryan said the actions of the former administration and the subsequent expansion under the Biden administration posed a threat to Americans' ability to keep powerful officials in check. Hmm. It's an interesting question, and, and I'd love to, as, to assemble a panel of really smart and ethical people to discuss. Okay, if there are illegal leaks happening um, from government officials, and they are going to journalists... Is there a legitimate, where does, where does the, uh, where does the balance lie? The proper balance between the proper investigation of illegalities that betray the trust of the American people, by the way, and the First Amendment protection for the free press. That is an interesting topic and it's got nuances. It's not, uh, you know, open and shut to me, but it should be treated the same way when Biden's doing it as when oh. Trump is doing it. 
Heck yeah. And my tendency is I'm noodling it through kind of quick and dirty style is uh, you got to protect the free press. The free press is the uh, the penicillin for the, the, the infection of corrupt government. And we can't we can't play with that. In, in spite of the fact that they do a crappy, crappy job these days, at least a lot of them do. Bomb administration went after him. Trump administration went off after him. And now the Biden administration's going after him. An ongoing theme today will be what we were talking about uh, to some extent last segment, and that's ignoring the realities in front of our faces and why government officials do that. And there are a couple of reasons. Number one, there's just protecting them, covering their own butts. There's also naked self-interest, and I'm reminded sure. of that. We're going to talk about the bums and junkies and the uh, the amount of money that's being budgeted to uh, to solve the homeless problem in various parts of America. And it's now running into the tens of billions of dollars. The One of the great Armstrong and Getty principles, 11-C, is that if money is spent... Somebody's getting it. Who's getting it? What are they doing with it? Is it doing any good? Who's getting all this money? Why did you choose them? Right, right. I bring this up because a new report is out by the Bay Area Council. Now, this is the Bay Area of uh, California, one of the bum and junkie capitals of the world, along with Seattle, Portland, and L.A. And this uh, this think tank said it will take $11.8 billion to house every homeless person in the Bay Area. They're advocating spending $12 billion and then $2.5 billion a year to maintain the roofs over the heads of the 35,000 or so people. I assume this is with the assumption that not one single new homeless person will show up in the Bay Area, even though you've set out you know, a bowl of food <laughs> to attract more right. yeah. homeless people. You've made it enormously comfortable and indeed lucrative to be a junkie or a bum. Uh, and yeah, yeah, you expect that number to stay the same. That's hilarious. It would be hilarious if it were not, you know, involving the theft of taxpayer money. I, I mentioned there's one bright spot, London Breed of, uh, San Francisco. She's the mayor. Um, it talked about the the huge amount of money she wants to pour into the problem, but she did also say that some of the money is going to be for enforcement. She said we can't have people on the street. Um, you either let's see where is the quote um, for those exhibiting harmful behavior, whether to themselves or to others, or those refusing assistance. We will use every tool we have to get them into treatment and services to get them indoors. We won't accept people just staying on the streets when we have a place for them to go. Like that, right? Indeed, that's a, a ray of hope. But this uh, this think tank that wants to spread around uh, twelve billion dollars and then billions per year afterward are ignoring what Mike Kaufman. The, uh, the mayor of Aurora, Colorado wrote about, and we were sharing this with you the other day. There is no overlap, none between the in shelters trying to get back on their feet crowd and the tent city junkies. There's no overlap. They're different. The pe- they're different crowds that yeah. for some reason got the same name, homeless. Yeah, exactly. The tent city drinking, drugging, fornicating, stealing crowd, they want to live a hippie lifestyle like that. 
with no uh, offense to our hippie friends. They want to live like that. They are not waiting for government assistance so they can get back on their feet. They're not desperate for some little apartment at $500,000 a unit, L.A. Um, they are doing what they want to do. And, you know, at least London Breed went ahead and admitted, yeah, there's some people don't want any help. They don't want any services, and we got to get them the hell off the street. And until we recognize that truth in front of our faces, we're going to continue to see our parks ruined, our business districts screwed up, you know, people crapping in the streets and the rest of it. You've got to recognize reality. And I know you've gone to city council meetings in liberal towns where they they act like every single person who's right. not living in a 3,500-square-foot suburban home is, is a victim just... of our evil white supremacy capitalist system. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, anyway... Just the homeless industrial complex. It is the latest shiny object, the latest, you know, uh, what do they call it? The the sinkhole money pit to throw enormous amounts of money at because somebody gets that money. It's spreading dollars around to firm up coalitions and keep votes rolling in. It's as simple as that. Wake up. Armstrong and Getty.